In the book of Judges, chapter 6, we're going to talk today about Gideon, part 1. Gideon, part 1. I really have uh, gone through the whole book of Judges throughout my ministry uh, several times. Uh, I teach it in school. I think it's a, a very sad book. It's, uh, a, it reveals a period of time in Israel's history where they had many problems, self-inflicted problems. And in, in Judges chapter 6, we begin to see the problems that would result in the rise of Gideon. And uh, there's just really, uh, I'd rather break it up into two sermons rather than do in just one sermon. So we'll read the first part of it and we'll learn about the story of Gideon, Judges chapter 6. Then the children of Israel, this is in verse 1, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And may the Lord bless uh, his word as we have it read into our hearts today. We'll read more as well, but we start here in this story with uh, an unexcusable sin. Uh, let's, let's face it, in the Bible, we do not see Israel at any point completely defeat evil or sin. They have this problem over and over and over and over and over again, and it keeps going. This cycle of sin creates problems for them. And in the book of Judges itself, that cycle is repeated time and time and time again. So in this case, the enemy that uh, is we're talking about here would be Midian, and the people sinned against God. Now notice that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the one that was acting at first was Israel itself. Israel did evil. Now what were they doing? Well, they did a lot of things wrong. They avoided God. They avoided the Lord. They just ignored him. And then from there, they began to worship the other gods of the people around them. And so they did not respond well to peer pressure. And because of the people that were there that were idol worshipers, they didn't want to offend them evidently. And so they didn't stand up to these people. So once they lost their faith in God, and once they adopted the faith of their enemies, at that point, the Lord uh, got angry at them. And so instead of the people acting 
it was the Lord who acted because you'll see here that the number one cause of their problems was that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you see God acting to correct them. And that's when you start seeing the desperate circumstances of the people. So how bad did they suffer? Well, you can see clearly that God sent an enemy against them. Notice it's God allowing this enemy to afflict them. Now let's move forward 3,000 years to our current day. We are obviously a people in, in America where Christian faith seems to be diminishing in our population. Fewer and fewer people, the statistics show us, are confessed believers in Jesus Christ of any Christian denomination. And it seems that people are following their own desires, their own ways more than they follow the Lord, or they are following the crowd, which is really what they're doing. Regardless, they have a different master than the master of the sea, Jesus. Because our own generation is actually, we've lived long enough to see the decline of our own culture, the decline of our safety and security. We've seen, even in our own day, we are living in times that we don't feel safe by the, uh, in terms of our health. I mean, think about the diseases and pestilences that are afflicting us and have afflicted us recently. Think about how that our personal security is threatened today. How many of you are just willing to go to bed without having your doors locked? I mean, it is a scary thing. And if you go into any modern city in America, would you, as a, an individual, just like to go roam around and feel safe in every neighborhood that, and on every block of every city in America? Not exactly. I read a story or heard a story this week where they were reporting what's going on in San Antonio, Texas, where they have so many immigrants moving in that have been bussed in and transported that they are literally flooding over people's private property and they can't even enjoy their own property because we've allowed all of these people in and they've invaded. They've literally invaded the country. Millions have invaded our own country. And guess what? We don't know who they are. We don't know where they're from. Or when we do know, we just let them go anyway. Because I guess we don't have the ability to send them back. But why should they be allowed to come in in the first place? I also learned this week that in the Darien Gap, which you have to to teach geography to know where that is, I'm pretty sure, but Darien Gap is down in the connection between South America and North America. So where Central America and South America meet, there's a little place there of wilderness that's so wild. The jungle is so wild that it doesn't really fall under anybody's jurisdiction. But it's so lawless that right now, certain organizations have set up camps and they're expanding these camps. Right now they have 3,000 people a day who arrive there and then get hooked up with organizations to where they're transported through 
the countries of Central America all the way through Mexico and to the United States of America. This is an organized effort. This is an invasion of America. Don't think for one moment that it isn't. You might say, well, Brother Keith, there's a lot of people who want to come to America and they have goodwill. Absolutely. There's no question about it. I work with people like that or with a person like that. And I've worked with others in the past. Why wouldn't you want to come here and be a part of our country? But it's not all just good intentions. There's a lot of evil as well. A lot of people who have been victimized by people who have come to America in our modern world. Not just America, but in France, they're having chaos because they literally have neighborhoods where because of the increase of the Muslim faith in that country, the police will not even go in to the neighborhoods of those places. And so the Muslims take care of their own communities. Hmm, very interesting, isn't it? that we don't have a unified nation because we've been invaded. The French don't have a unified nation because they've been invaded, but they did it on purpose. They've allowed this to happen. Now, I could just blame all the politicians and I could just say, okay, president so-and-so, why did you do this? And I do blame them, but, but, but it's not just that I blame them. I also recognize that Maybe I should blame God. Because you know, when God starts turning you over to other foreign people and turning you over to your enemies, then maybe that's a sign that there's a bigger problem. And it, the problem is not with between us, but it's a problem with between us and God. And that was the problem here. These people 3,000 years ago, they were being invaded. And then God said, okay, if you're going to turn away from me, I'm going to send these invaders into your land. And not only that, but they're going to oppress you for years and you're going to have to suffer and you're going to be inconvenienced. And notice how they were inconvenienced. Notice it says here, they had to spend extra time and resources on security. They had to work so hard. They built safe areas, caves, and forts in the mountains to run away from these Arab raiders. They were so afraid. They were afraid. And then they still had to grow food, but when they grew their food and they, they had their livestock, these invaders would come in at harvest time and steal everything that they grew. And then they would take all their animals as well. That is a huge problem. And it's almost like the people who support the mass invasion of a nation don't really care about the natives who live there at all, huh? They just are willing to displace them. And if it happens, it happens. That's what's happening here. The Midianites took over the nation of, of Israel at the time in that section of Israel, in Southern Israel. And in fact, all the way to Gaza, which is still a city today. And we're still talking about invasions on, on the same border today, ironically. And you see that, that God allowed the people of Israel to be invaded, and then they had to spend extra time and resources on security. I have read many reports. You have read reports. 
Is this invasion into our country costly? Well, I, I am told that if you come into this America, you can get an allowance of $2,000 a month of, of life income from American taxpayers and non-government organizations that are just paying people. So you, you have a mother and a child, that's $2,000 apiece, that's $4,000 a month. And they're housing them and providing extra resources. Meanwhile, the average American is not making that kind of money from the government. Uh, and it is a, I really believe that God is afflicting us today. I think we are being afflicted and I think we deserve it. I think we deserve it because we're fool enough to go along and tolerate it. And we keep, uh, I've, I've read in London, England, they do the same thing overseas. A, formerly, a, supposed to be a Christian nation, England, and London has a mayor who is a Muslim who doesn't profess Jesus Christ, and yet their main city has a Muslim leading their, their town. Well, it's a big town. Trust me, it's a very big town. Uh, what does it mean for these countries when they buy up hotels and they kick out the normal people who are paying their way and they put migrants in the hotel that are foreign, that don't even follow the culture of the country, and they just let them live there and the government pays for them to live there. This is ridiculous, but that's what we have. And it was ridiculous for the people of Israel in those days to have to go and set up these forts and then to lose everything. Not only did they have to spend more resources, but they also had more worry. They were worried. Can you imagine how worrisome it would have been for the average person who lived in Israel at the time? They would have been suffering knowing that, oh, at any time we might get attacked by our enemies. And when they lost their, their sheep and their livestock and they lost their food, they lost their livelihood. And so they are now without anything. They are completely impoverished because of this. That's not a pretty picture, is it? So the sin of doing evil, forgetting God, led to the very tragic punishment of others taking your things and others afflicting you and others going after you. That's what happened to the people of Israel. But we're going to read that God's going to do some miracle working. And I love the Bible because it has so many good miracles in it. I mean, the miracle stories are fantastic. And God's going to actually do some miracles. But I want you to know that the miracles that are going to follow are only because of what happened in verse number six. Because the people got so sick of what was going on. They got so upset over what was going on that they sobered up real quickly. And it says, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Everything else that happens in the story of Gideon is a footnote to that prayer. Those people cried out to the Lord. At that point, we're going to see God is going to change things. When they cried out to the Lord, things began to happen. And in fact, 
I would say to you that once they cried out to the Lord, everything else was inevitable. They didn't have as many resources. They're not going to have as, as many uh, uh, clever people. They're not going to necessarily be able to, to overwhelm the enemy. They're not going to know how to defeat the enemy. But guess what? It doesn't matter because they cried out to the Lord. And I really like that God chooses when we cry out to him to intervene and we don't have to know how he's going to do it. And, and so we're going to be introduced to a person named Gideon. And I said this is part one today, but it's very important to understand this, that God will answer our prayer if we cry out to the Lord. All the miracle working God does, all the sensational stories that are about to follow are secondary to verse six, where they cried out to the Lord. So let's see what the result of crying out to the Lord was. In verse number seven, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. The Lord here told them and said, look, there's a reason why this is happening. I did all these things for you, but you forgot me and you followed the gods of these people. Today, I think in America, we idolize money and our greed and personal pleasure and comfort and everything has a higher degree of priority than God. I think that's clearly seen in our media and literally we've been drowning in a sea of godlessness for a long time and it's very sad and it has implications. And these implications are that bad things happen to you in a lot of ways. So here's how God's going to intervene. In verse number 11, he sends the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, the Abizarites were part of the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the sons of Joseph. He's actually the oldest son. Uh, Ephraim was the youngest son. But Manasseh settled somewhere near southern Israel in this case. And one of these uh, members of this tribe, Manasseh, a guy named Joash, had a son named Gideon. Now, to illustrate how bad things were, he was able to grow the wheat and the Midianites were fine with people growing wheat because they were just going to come and steal it. And so they were waiting for the wheat to be harvested and then they just go take it. So what you would normally do is you take the wheat to the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a place where you would beat it so that the wheat uh, kernel would be uh, taken away from the husk, the husk would be taken away. They would winnow it, which is fanning it, and blow away the outside husk and leave you with the whole kernel wheat. 
So that's the plan. And it was designed that way. Well, Gideon had to go to the wine press, a totally different place. That's a place where they crushed grapes. He had to go to a place and repurpose it because he had to use the surface there to winnow the wheat, even though it wasn't designed for that purpose. He's hiding out. That's how desperate his circumstances are. And it says in verse 12 that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now at this stage, we got to remember that the Lord often would appear in, the angels would appear as people. So I'm thinking that this angel is just looking like a normal man. I don't think he's looking necessarily too unusual, but he's certainly uh, going to be suspicious. And it said, he appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor, in verse number 12. <laughs> That's quite a greeting. If an angel says to you, you're a mighty man of valor, I'm sure Gideon says, oh, I'm so brave, I'm over here hiding out in the wine press, threshing the wheat. Not, I'm not really too great. I, I actually feel like an idiot. I heard a story about a, ch a teacher got upset with her class. She's up there in front of the room. She said to all the kids, it says, listen, all of you who are idiots, I want you to stand up. And nobody moved. Finally, one child got up. The teacher was shocked. So, uh, are you an idiot? And the child said, no, ma'am. Well, why did you stand up? Well, I just hate to see anybody stand up alone. I'm sure that in this case, Gideon felt like an idiot doing what he was doing and then have somebody tell him he's a mighty man of valor. He's a great hero. He didn't feel like a hero and he's going to complain. And we complain too. I find myself complaining about the situation in our own times, which uh, is nothing to brag about. So Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, in verse 13, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Yeah, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. See, Gideon is down. He is expressing the negative belief of the people of his day. He is just being honest with the Lord here. And he says, if things are so good, where are the miracles? Why has God forsaken us? We don't, we're now suffering because of these enemies. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So the Lord is telling Gideon, you need to go. You're a hero and you've got to be a hero. You've got to do it because I am sending you. That's pretty good commendation. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Just like Moses, just like most people, when God tells them to do something, they find an excuse. They, they find some way to say, no, not me. <laughs> Who, me? No, I can't do it. Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Hmm. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, 
If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Now, a lot of people give Gideon a hard time. Gideon, he is uh, from Missouri, the show me state. He's got got to show me. (laughs) So Gideon does this a lot, okay? And I used to give Gideon a hard time for this, but I, I actually think that Gideon actually believes in the Lord. I think Gideon doesn't believe in himself at all. And I think he's thinking, maybe I'm just mistaken here. Maybe I'm just crazy. You ever thought of that before? So he says, Lord, please, can you show me a sign that uh, this is real and not just in my own imagination, basically? Uh, Verse 18, do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So he says, let me go get an offering. I'm going to go prepare it. Then I'm going to come back to you. And so the Lord said, okay, I'll stay here. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. So he brings them the food here and the bread. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. So he did so. So he separates the meat from the stew, And he takes the bread and the meat, puts them on the rock, and he pours out the broth. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So that's pretty pretty amazing. The Lord just said, okay, and then burned everything up. Fire came out of the rock destroyed the offering and the food offering, and the angel was gone. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Wonder what his clue was. <laughs> so Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now there is a lot of people, and I'm one of them, who believe that a lot of times in the Bible when you have that phrase, the angel of the Lord, it is the Lord being messenger of himself, because remember, Jesus appeared to Abraham in human form, and I believe this very likely could be the Lord himself uh, in uh, a uh, pre-incarnation presentation. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. That's good news. I mean, what do we fear? We're afraid. We're worried. And God gives him what he needs. He has to have peace, he doesn't need to have fear, and he doesn't need to worry about his physical being. He's not going to die, doesn't need to be afraid, and he's going to have peace. Wow, good for him. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still an Oprah of the Abizarites. I don't know when this was written, but it was still around when it was written. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. 
So God says, okay, now we gotta get started. And the first thing he attacks is not the enemy. First thing he attacks are the idols that the people had set up. And I think if you really want to be rescued from the bad situations, you especially wanna get rid of the idols that you have erected and set up to substitute for the Lord. I think that's the key to our country and every country on earth, everybody. If you want my advice to Israel today, repent and believe in Jesus. That's what I say. They need to believe in Jesus. They need Jesus as much as they're Muslims, they're fighting. They need Jesus Christ. Everybody needs him. America needs Jesus too. And so get rid of the idols. Don't have pride in yourself or the things you make, but have pride in the Lord. So the Lord says, I want you to go get your, 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 your bulls. Now these animals are, are very important, but it's gonna be a sacrifice. It's gonna be costly. But he says, I want you to go tear down the altar of Baal that the town has set up, and I want you to take it down, and then I want you to use build an altar where the rock was consumed, and the, the food was consumed by fire, and then build me an altar, and then I want you to have as an offering one of those bulls, but also I want you to use the idol to help fuel the fire. I love how God converts the idol into an offering to him. You see, it repurposes what man has wrongly done for a good purpose. This is why if, you spend, if you're spending money on wrong things, it's better to take that same money and start spending it on good things. It's really great to repurpose things that are being used for the wrong things. So Gideon took 10 men in verse 27 from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. That's understandable though. I, I can understand Gideon was a little afraid to get in trouble doing it in the daytime, so he snuck in at night. But nevertheless, God would have been with him either way. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they did an investigation, they said, Gideon, the son of G Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, that's his daddy, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead or fight for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. So Joash says something very wise. If Baal is so powerful, then let Baal fight this battle. I mean, if Baal, if you're worried about Baal, Baal can take out Joe, I mean, uh, Gideon quite easily. So if he's really a god, he can take care of himself. And so, therefore, on that day, verse 32, 
He called him Jerubbaal, saying, Let Baal plead or fight against him, because he has torn down his altar. Jerubbaal means let Baal fight. It's a great nickname that will stick with Gideon for the rest of the, his days, just about. So we often have the name Gideon and Jerubbaal used interchangeably. Let Baal fight if he's so powerful. And, and, and the father here was very wise and brave to stand up to the crowd. And the crowd kind of said, okay. <laughs> and, and that's what's going to happen. And then later on, it says here in verse 33, then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher. These are other tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So that's another sign that he wanted God to prove to him. Now, Gideon is struggling here, but he says, Lord, I'm going to get an army, but I want you to give me a, some encouragement here. So, Lord, I'm putting the fleece of wool, uh, and wool looks a lot like cotton. It's, it's used for garments, as you know. He sets it on the floor, but he says, when the dew comes in, I want the floor to be dry, but the wool to be wet. And it says that's what happened in verse 38. But Gideon isn't finished because, you know, Gideon, he believes in testing and then retesting. He'd be a good teacher, I think. And when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. But he's not finished. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground, let there be dew. So that's a pretty good one, really. Uh, so what he did is he did the exact same experiment. He set the fleece. It was dry, squeezed out, no water. It's dry everywhere. And then this time the dew would settle, but he says, now I want you to reverse it. Now, I don't know who can get this done, but the, but the Lord. But guess what? It did happen. This time, there was water everywhere where the dew was on the ground, but the fleece was dry. Notice what it says. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So in our first story about Gideon, we learned that he was kind of hard to convince. He was a man who needed to see. Unfortunately, too many times we want to see things rather than believe them. But nevertheless, God was very tolerant of Gideon, and I'm glad that Gideon asked for these things because I'm glad we have this story. And I'm glad that God raised up Gideon to be brave enough to tear down the idols that his people had set up. And I'm glad that he was willing to go and fight. But all this story would have been impossible had it not been for the people 
crying out to the Lord. And sometimes I think we get the government that we need, not necessarily the one we want. And I also believe we get the government that God wants us to have because we haven't pleased him. And that's a tragic story. But God will listen to anybody who calls on the name of the Lord. All who call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. And an urgent call for help set in motion this wonderful story of Gideon, part one. When we learn next week, we will learn, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story and how Gideon was able to actually fight the battle. And it doesn't happen the way you might think it might happen if you were writing the story. But let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for Gideon. Thank you for raising him up to be a mighty man of valor. He didn't feel like a mighty man of valor when he was minding his own business, hiding out. But you took care of him. And I pray that you will take care of us today. Help Americans and other people throughout the world to cry out unto you. Help the people in Israel and in Gaza, in the neighboring countries, to cry out unto you because everybody needs you. And Lord, may our leaders in our own land have the wisdom to call out unto you for help because we need that help. In Jesus' name we do pray and amen.